Archive 81, The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, and Iki. This is staying in. So, uh, what do you think of the new haircut? The new haircut. Is it new? You see it, yeah. Today. I like that. So, was this Tony, or is this someone else? No, 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 this is Tony. This is the walk-in barbers in the village. Uh, okay. Is it is it is it exclusively run by Russian military? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or XKGB. Chris, this is important. I want you to imagine. Yeah. One of my social anxieties is when they ask me what I want, what am I going to say? <laughs> yeah. So when you sat down in, in that chair and they said, yeah. so mm. what are you having? You replied. I produce my smartphone and say that, please. And I point to a picture on there and I say a zero back and sides and it will need thinning on the top. Because right. otherwise, there's just no point in me having a haircut. So, who's the picture of? Yeah, who's the picture of? I don't know. I just Googled. Is it him? It's basically it's Chris it's him again. <laughs> the same thing, please. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. This again, please. I'll have another. No, it's it's just basically a generic kind of like haircut. You know, men's haircut. What do they call it? A high top? What's the what's the style called? Where you have it? A high top. Is it quite a high top? I don't know. This is why. This is why, in an era without smartphones, without photographs, I can't imagine what it would be like. Because when I was a kid, I used to just walk in. It was just yeah, uh, uh, free back and side scissors on the top. That's all I would say as a teenager. Right. And that <laughs> was that was like the degree of my no small talk, no where you going on my holidays. Just, just. <laughs> I mean, as a teenager, like I was, you know, in the throes of puberty, so my voice. <laughs> all over yeah. the place so yeah. uh yeah it was very very uh laconic really but one thing i noticed today as i kind of you know as, as you have to kind of move your head up and down and left and right as it's getting cut and trimmed in all this manner i tell you what lads there's a lot of gray in my hair mm. a lot there is a lot of gray in your hair so when, when, when you know beforehand when they're kind of doing the finning and you get this like little kind of confetti that used to be very brown but now it's just white it's like snow, basically. It does look like you're sort of like cosplaying as Rogue from the X-Men. Mm. Yeah. You've got a good cowlick going on. I know it's not a cowlick. What is it called? It's the, um, oh, they named a TV series after it, or it's named after a TV series that was on ITV in like the late 80s. Hello, hello. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. The wind, it's called like... <laughs> going for gold? Some mothers do have them. <laughs> it ain't half hot, mum. The good life. It's a Malin streak. The Malin streak. A Malin streak. A what a Malin streak. A Malin streak. And there was a TV show named after this. I think it was. I think the TV show was just called the Malins. But when you have a grey bit in your hair, it's known as a Malin streak. Oh my gosh! I mean, this is more than a streak right now. <laughs> um, do you reckon? Do you reckon you'll ever dye your hair? You know, when you get if the grey comes through more pronounced, do you reckon you'll ever no. do that? No. Commit. Commit no. to the bit. Well, clearly I have. It's a bit too late for me, but it's not too late for you two. When I get into like proper old age, I'm going to dye my hair every colour under the sun that I can possibly dye it. it all at once. All at once. Rainbow hair <clears> colour. <throat> I think that'd be really cool. Wow. Um, actually, by then we'll probably have like, your hair will probably be, you know. Fibre optics. Yeah, exactly. You could put fibre optics in, hook yourself up to Winamp, and then suddenly, you know, oh, you're the, the life of the party. As you all know, we're planning in this household for the arrival of the next Horizon game, which at time of release is out in three days. Actually, Pete, it's coming out the weekend that you come up to visit <gasps> Touchwood. That's exciting. So guess what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Going shopping. Um. <laughs> That sounds good. Um, are we excited for that? I'm very excited. I'm pretty excited. I've watched a two-hour-long video on YouTube Christ. to remind myself um, actually what happened in the first one and all the lore before and after that um, game happened. Right. Because I did not spend enough time in that world. I really enjoyed the, I, I absolutely loved the, the first one, but I did not really pick up on the nuances of that world. Do you know how I realised I'd played too much of Horizon Zero Dawn? When it 
with sunset? Well, when I described somebody's a car once, I just described a car and I described, oh, it's look, that's got alloys. <laughs> Genuinely, that happened. And they're like, you what? I, said, I mean, alloys, sorry. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd, I'd sunk so many hours into that because for me, open world games, if I'm... If I if I subscribe to the theme and the lore, it just sucks me in, and I just want to just immerse myself in it fully, really. And I just lived and breathed that game for got hours and hours on end, really, for like about half a year I spent in that world. Yeah, and it is worth it. It does, you know, it does reward you for doing that. It's very good. Definitely the most some of the most satisfying combat in an open world game. It's such an odd concept for me that studio, right? So Gorilla you know is is, mm-hmm. is is the the team that put that thing together and the thing that i always get like i guess slightly weirded out by is that is a game that is clearly full of really incredible creative talent an amazing set of like thinking about how a world is put together mm. you know genuinely like people love that game no ifs no buts no oh it's the best one on this platform but and and they did that whereas like their previous titles were Killzone, yeah, and like, and 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 like Killzone. I like the first one. I'm I'm an, a massive apologist for the first one. I thought the second one was fine, and the third one was I don't I literally don't know anyone who played it. Um, and then like I think they did some Vita spin-off stuff as well. There was a PS4 game at one point, but mm-hmm. but it just felt like increasingly kind of creatively bankrupt. As a as a as a game, like visually, it was really stunning in places. Some of the visual design of that Killzone series, like especially the enemies, they were really iconic. But then, like, kind of like, I whenever I think of Killzone, I think of grey. I think of like just bleak mm. and and dust and you know all that sort of stuff. And then they were like, oh, here we go. Here's <laughs> here's the Horizon series, which is massively colourful, really creative piece that they managed to put together i just it's such a massive pivot for a company that i just i can't sometimes i just cannot fathom and cannot get my head around the idea that that is the same company i know there was a fantastic documentary online which i watched i know sam you've watched it as well where they they obviously realized given the ambition of what it was they were hoping to do with horizon they just didn't have people that were experienced with say open world rpgs and how that works so they, they did take on more staff yeah. uh, to kind of not just because of the scope and scale of the game, but also just in terms of the genres they were kind of working with. Really, also it was like it, I think what what also benefited the game was Horizon when it came out was kind of seen as like the best of the the best of everything. So it kind of took a lot of open world games that had mm. already existed and just instead of iterating on, just refined that experience. So you know, Horizon. Zero Dawn came out at the time where that Ubisoft approach to open world games was becoming extremely rote and stale already. You know, I think we're maybe up to Far Cry 4 at that point. Definitely, you know, Far Cry 3 was at, you know, the heyday. But it but this was a time where Ubisoft would release The Crew, which is a, which is an open world game where you were a car and even then you still had radio towers to go up and like gang like villages to siege. It was bonkers but horizon and gorilla took all that and didn't really change the open world formula but they refined it and they mm-hmm. made it all worthwhile again and made it part of part of a cohesive world which is probably what gets me the most excited about forbidden west is that obviously since then we've had things like breath of the wild where open world games have once again really evolved and moved forward into basically physics playgrounds where the player is expected to have complete autonomy and control over everything and be able to go anywhere and you know the game is 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 expected to kind of handle that freedom so it's going to be really Mm. interesting to see what they do how they manage that if 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 indeed they do or they just iterate on zero dawn or it's complete or it's something new entirely and also the arrow play because bows and arrows is the best weapon in in all video games correct 
my point was before we meandered was that before I do play Horizon Forbidden West, I just finished Death Loop. Only took me fifteen hours. It took Dan fifty. I know, and he calls himself a gamer. Yeah, you could do it. Um, you did it in fifteen. He he's such a casual. He took fifty. <laughs> So I was kind of in between games and I've been playing Yakuza Like a Dragon as kind of like my in-between game. Oh, nice. Just like plugging away a couple of hours at it, which is really fun. I really enjoy that game. And I thought, I bet I could p- pick up something and complete something before Horizon Forbidden West comes out. I bet I can. Because mm. it's not going to be Yakuza Like a Dragon because... That's long. No. <laughs> There's not enough hours yeah. in my day. So I picked up, and this is a bit of a going off the back of our conversation last time, Pete, mm-hmm. is I thought I'm going to be a brave, brave boy and I'm going to play Resident Evil Village. Oh. And I'm not going to have my friend next to me while I'm playing it. Oh, God. Or online. Yeah. I'm going to do this all on my own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's remarkable. It's it's so, so So good. this is, okay, which which one is um, which one is Village? Village is number... Eight. It's a tall vampire lady. Okay, it's so this the is the tall, tall vampire. vampire. Right, okay. So so this is not in VR. No. Um, the previous one was, was it? Well, the previous one was was first person. Okay. And this one is also in first person, so I don't know why they wouldn't have released it in yeah, VR. I'm weird, sure right? they have done. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it follows the same characters. It's a continuation of the Ethan, Ethan Winters saga. Okay, so... I want to know the character that was memed endlessly, the tall vampire lady or the tall lady. I don't know if she's mm. a, she is a vampire, but I seem to remember she, something, she seeing something. Well, she like. she certainly go on sucks. I just I've just left a really long pause there because I assume that I'll probably <laughs> get edited out. Um, the, <laughs> So uh, the that lady, she got memed mm. and memed and memed. Is yes. she as pivotal to the story as the memes make her out to be? And is she as interesting a character as all of the focus that has been laid upon her justifies? I don't know if I were to answer the first question whether that would be too much of a spoiler okay. um, about the game, but... Her presence in the game is certainly not equal to the attention that she got. Okay, but is she so? Is she a character that is memorable then? Because I mean, obviously there was some there were the memes going around, and I think we all know why they were memorable. Some to some degree, there was a yeah. lot of people who were mm-hmm. like, "Oh, my waifu" and all that nonsense. Um, yeah, but. Is is there more to her than that? Like, is she actually like a well developed character? Is she an interesting? I assume you probably get to fight her or at least interact with her in some way. Are those interactions yeah. meaningful? And is her character meaningful, or is she just a, you know, a nine foot tall lady that that people on the internet fell in love with? <laughs> um, I think she definitely is. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely is more than that because. There's a thing about how the game is actually set up, which is quite which is quite unique and I actually really enjoy. So there's the actual the village, which is this collection of like huts and shacks and these like stone buildings. And it almost acts like this hub world. So the aim of the game is you've got to collect these four flasks, each one of these four sort of heads of the village, of which the Lady Dimistrask is one of them. And you go to her castle first and her castle is such a staggering piece of like gaming architecture it's stunning i would i would have happily spent a lot more time than you do in sort of game time just wandering around and exploring um just the little nooks and crannies and things that go on there especially like the law and i've never really been interested before in like Resident Evil lore because mainly it's kind of like oh papa came home from the shop today he started to cough day two oh his cough's got a little bit worse day through I saw papa eating a rat oh no day four papa's eating us all oh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> Sam can I ask a question 
Yes. Is it scary? Um, like you know, and, and what I mean by that is it like what kind of like is it just is it just a sense of dread that pervades it throughout, or is it just full of, you know, is it like you know the dogs jumping through the window kind of jump scare you got in the earlier games? I think that um, the one thing that Village gets really really right, and the reason why I actually think it's not as scary as Seven is it gets the tone perfectly right of what kind of game this is. There's, um, and this might be quite graphic for some people, there's a moment early on where you're trying to open this gate with your with your hand. So you close your fist around it and you try to pull down on this gate. And as you're doing it, Lady Dimitrescu pops up from nowhere and like slices your hand off. And so your hand stays gripped to this thing. And like your arm is just there like, spurting blood whatever and ethan's like going oh no oh no oh no and then <laughs> the next thing you do is press x press x you've got severed hand in your inventory and the next opportunity you have ethan just puts his hand back on his arm and then just douses it in the first aid liquid that you use for the rest of the game and it just starts working again <laughs> and from that point on i was like yeah, this game knows how <laughs> insane and like bonkers yeah. like this whole world is. And from that point on, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this game is just a campy, you know, shocky, you know, horror game. And it's kind of like, I feel for me, that's when I enjoy horror the most. Like when I actually know what the rules are, what the boundaries are, and what kind of experience I'm letting myself into. It's like when we watched Invisible Man, Chris, I knew it was going to be like a hypertense um thrill about this um in this situation like i feel like what village does really well is that it really puts down a marker of right this is the world and like there's a there's a clue here that says look out the window the minute you look out the window bam werewolf like it's just like that kind of like late 90s campy final destination-esque scream horror I think it it's it's really brave, especially for a horror game, to knowingly dilute its horror from time to time and do things that are slightly campy and like yeah. very cliched. Yeah. It sounds a bit like Shadows of the Damned, is that is that the game? Shadows of the Damned? Yeah. Yeah. That that was, you know, very similar in the way that um it on in how it was dealing with horror, mm. definitely. Mm. In that like it was a horrific experience, but knew when to just go silly, kind of take you back from really being submerged into a pool of anxiety and, and ease. Yeah, yeah. There's a. I think you know you you mentioned that it's brave to do that in horror, and, and I completely agree. But it, I think it also serves a really good other ability, which is that once you lighten the mood there's somewhere lower to go. There's mm -hmm. a lot of horror games that are just unrelentingly bleak and Absolutely. unrelentingly yeah. horrifying. And, and after a while, it gets boring. You get really desensitized to it. Whereas the, some, of the, some of the most memorable moments in, um, in the Silent Hill series have been moments where there have been moments of like levity. It's almost a one-two punch right so mm -hmm. uh the there's moments where you have that like oh phew I, I beat the monster or whatever it was and you sort of you, you sigh that relief and then some of the best horror games immediately then ramp up the horror again right that they're, they're like oh you shouldn't have been you shouldn't have had that moment of feeling safe okay we're gonna get you again right like you know moments where a, a really good one for example a good example of this is in in I think it's Silent Hill 3, where the entire time, the framing of the camera, because you don't get to move the camera around all that much in the Silent Hill games, the first, the, the, the only ones that exist, the first four, the, um, the, 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 <laughs> there's this moment where you're, you're essentially in a horror show uh, in a carnival, and there's a, there's a chair sat on a stage, and there is a body slumped in the chair. 
And the entire time you're looking at it and you're moving past it and you've gone through past all these horror, horror things, like really, really awful, tensions building, tensions building, and you're in the distance and you move towards this chair with the body in and you just think to yourself, oh no, it's going to get up, it's going to get up, it's going to get up, it's going to get up. And you get closer and closer and closer and closer and you get really, really close. And then nothing happens. And from out of nowhere, a body drops from the ceiling and like a, a, a sort of carnival tune plays with like some creepy laughter at the top, like, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and that moment of levity is like, you got me. It's that moment of like, oh, I, I saw you, you totally got me with that. And it's that, that moment of kind of, as I say, reducing down that anxiety and stress. And I think that then what that means is like, from then on, those next sequence of events can start to ratchet the tension back up and up and up and up and up. Because really all you're looking for when the tension's going, you actually want the release. You want you you yeah. want that like exploding corpse head. You know, you want the you want the like dog to continually jump through the window all of the time. Because what you don't want is that that quiet, that foreboding. I I've only sort of recently started to really enjoy horror more than i've ever done mm. really mm. you know if you if you said to me like 10 15 years ago that i'd be reading or have read like stephen king or mr james or anything like that i would have you know <laughs> i would have really like doubted you or even watched things like the invisible man or whatever because as, as a genre i just never really understood it before like i know that dan is very keen saying whenever we engage in anything to do with horror she's like well why would you want to get why would you want to scare yourself and i think i i I get it and i guess there is a little bit of a thrill of like experiencing an emotion in a safe space and like knowing what that feels like and and experiencing something knowing that you are going to be safe and knowing that nothing is going to harm you but part of me thinks that and this is how I think about horror is part of me thinks it's not really why would you want to get scared is why wouldn't you want to feel that relief? Why wouldn't you want to feel that reward of overcoming something Mm. and like battling something and really facing up to something that in your mind is a lot more terrifying and scarier than you, than you thought. This is going to sound really up my own butt. But I'm going to say it. That is not what I enjoy about horror games at all. I actually really enjoy horror games as an intel in, uh, uh, as an intellectual pursuit. And well, there's that as well. And and I think that the the reason I see it as an intellectual pursuit is what I really enjoy about the horror games I enjoy is is more analysing the games as I'm going through them and understanding what it is that they're doing to evoke such a primitive response. Mm. Like there's a, uh, that sounds really, really, uh, aren't I smart? Um, But, but, but it's not, (laughs) but it's not, I I really don't mean it in that way. Like I, I kind of see the, the the horrors I've always liked have been things like Eternal Darkness and things like um, things that are trying to play with your preconceptions and sometimes turn them on their head, sometimes kind of lean into them, but go to the, the furthest extreme. I guess in some ways it's kind of why I like things like sci-fi in that it's really taking mm. an idea that that is you would only really be in a hypothetical situation and trying to put it into a place in which for some characters that's their reality right so like i'm always interested i think it might be why i always read about horror movies because i don't like watching horror movies but i think one of the reasons is i i love the idea of the movie the human centipede i love the the science <laughs> fiction story no it's true right it is a genuinely interesting that 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 hypothetical uh, situation that and obviously I will not go into yeah, I mean, what that is. When you, when you said you were gonna start you up your own butt. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I love the idea. No, so that's why I say the movie, the human centipede, not the concept of the human centipede. But the the actual like mm. the actual the idea of that horror is really terrifying. It's a terrifying idea to try and comprehend, right? Whereas the idea of like 
somebody gets their throat slashed in a slasher movie, that isn't a terrifying concept to try and understand. Mm. We know that there are violent people out there. We know that terrible things happen to good people. But what we can't really comprehend is things like, oh, there's a massive industrial prison complex in which in which there are experiments that go on that take people take things and concepts from hell and place them into place human beings into those situations or uh, something like you know when you watch something like is it cube the one where it's oh cube vincenzo natale yeah right cube. like to me that's that's a horror film but it, the interesting thing about it is not when there's gore the interesting thing about it is what an amazing concept for an idea I think that that's the for me that's the interesting thing about horror. It's it's more about that. I you know I don't like to sit there and be scared. I like to sit there and go, hmm, what would mm. Sartre think about this idea? <laughs> I've also been watching um, a series that dropped recently on Netflix that is a genre of horror that I love, which is the the found footage. <laughs> Sorry, I think one of my fa- one of my favourite stories of my grandparents is around a found footage film. So, so my grandparents were, you know, pretty strictly religious. Okay. Like, I, I never knew them. Like, they'd only listen to classical music. They would, you know, be watching snooker and cricket on TV, watch Countdown. Mm. Like, they were very sort of straight down the line, wholesome. I'd never known them to interact with anything, you know. You know, that wasn't in the path of God. Fair enough. Love them to pieces. One day I went around the house. And they were just chatting and they went, What's that uh, Blair Witch Project the other day? <laughs> wow. And I was like, Okay. okay. What, did you, what, what did you think? Hey, it was, it was all right. But... I don't think they really needed to swear as much as they did. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was the most sincere and earnest answer to... (laughs) Because obviously you'd put yourself into that situation. And then, so obviously my grandparents have spoken about it and gone... Well, if we were in that situation, we wouldn't be swearing a half as much. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be effing and jeffing. I'd be. I'd be saying, "Oh, bother! Oh, bother! Oh, bother!" Fiddlesticks. Why are you in the corner, Beryl? <laughs> Beryl. That's actually my grandma's name. So shout That's out. Great. Shout out. Um, um. <laughs> but I, I like. I, I'm. I'm not a big fan of. I'm. I'm not a really big fan of fan footage in terms of. Like films, like I was never really a big fan of Paranormal Activity, say for example, or right, The yeah, Blair, which yeah. is okay. I enjoyed it at the time when it came out, but I really like it in radio dramas on podcasts where you're right. scrubbing through audio recordings. There's something about audio that just works really, really well. Mm. Um, I really love mm. um, The White Vault, which I'm on the last series of that at the moment, the fifth season, which is just fantastic. But this this series I've watched on Netflix is an adaptation of one of those types of podcasts. It's called Archive 81, which um, I never listened mm-hmm. to the podcast. It was from 2016 um, from um, Daniel Powell and Mark Solinger. And it's about a guy who has a job that just looks so, so um, cool, really fiddly. So I don't think I'd be good at it, but cool. A conservator who basically takes like damaged like tapes and restores them. And you see it the way it's filmed, you know, he takes like an old um, like VHS, VHS tape, an old um, 80s video camera tape and will kind of painstakingly remove that tape and put it in a new fresh tape. And there's just something really satisfying about watching that, and you know, pushing it into the machine and pressing play and, and yeah. watching that play out. Yeah. And they're, they're really good at their job. And um, they've been hired to restore a series of tapes, high eight. Um, videotapes that were destroyed in a fire in the mid 90s now this is a little bit of a, a leap i think but they're so so damaged that they cannot move them so he has to go out to the place which houses them which is this like small like um research campus in the arse end of nowhere that's got you've guessed it very little phone signal but but what it does some really interesting things. So that the property is in, the house is in, this research campus, it's like the architecture of control. So that oh, that very what, the um oldest building. Yeah. 
like that. So that kind of brutalist kind of design, very dark and nooks and crannies and things. And he basically goes downstairs in this basement and he's restoring the tapes one by one. And the tapes are that of a, a PhD student called um, uh, Melody, who in the mid-90s was conducting this ethnographic study of the people who lived in this tower block. And, okay. and, and Dan, the conservator, knows that this tower block burnt down. And as you're following the tapes, you're you're finding out about what happened here through Emily's eyes. And it does this, it's there's something really interesting about that looking at looking at looking. You're watching Dan watch that footage and occasionally we'll kind of go into and see the world from Melody's point of view. But you're only ever seeing stuff that Dan has got documentation of, um, which I really, really appreciate. And this, it reminded me of that great film, I don't know if you ever saw it, Barbarian Sound Studio. You know, and, and that, I was thinking of Cloverfield. Yeah, Cloverfield as well. That that idea, but but it's really interesting. It's like watching somebody watch Cloverfield. They've been hired to kind of see sift through this documentation. And 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 as you can kind of expect, I suppose, really, Dan realizes as he's going through these tapes that he has a connection to what's going on. And there's some really weird mm. stiff stuff going on in this apartment block. And there's also some weird stuff happening around where Dan is isolated. So you never, ever feel safe. Sometimes you go, oh, my gosh, some weird stuff's happening to Dan here. I'm so glad now we're hiding in the video with Melody and then vice versa. So you're shifting between these two. Ah. And it's really it's really interesting. It's not that you're in the safe space with Dan. You never really feel 100% safe. How does it handle probably one of the trickiest things, I think, that horror can kind of get like lashed up in and i guess we spoke about this with the mr james thing where it's kind of like when it's dealing with supernatural elements well it's dealing with things on the other side like is is that is that quite heavy-handed or are you not that far away into the series to really know how it's gonna start tackling you know where these whiffies and jiffies and ghosties and demons are coming from it's a really interesting question because what they've done at the moment is it's really ambiguous. So you're led to believe perhaps that there's something supernaturally, but it's actually never ever, from what I've seen so far, it's not confirmed. Like it's just weird. And what's driving it is actually the mystery. It's, it's actually what's driving it is that sense of a mystery. That's what's, what interests me. And I think horror works best for me when it is always combined with another genre. So I really love horror mysteries and Hmm. I, I what what overrides that sense of fear for me is just wanting to know well where how did this happen and that's why I love M R James stories because even when it's it's never ever fully revealed the reason for it I like leaving still puzzling that out and this is a mystery I'm trying to work out well what stands connection to this and what happened to Melody because the answers are in these tapes but of course it takes time for Dan to have to go for each tape one after the other restore them and then watch them um. I recommend watching it. I genuinely would do. It's not something I'm saying you should prioritise above everything else, but actually it's it's quite a nice welcome addition uh, to my TV watching at the moment. Listen. All right, let's all... Let, listen up. Hey, hey, listen. hey, listen up. I've always said you're the, you're the navvy of this podcast. <laughs> hey. I'm, I'm always there in, your back of the, in the back of your mind, really annoying you. I have got some serious video game time in uh, over the last few weeks and I'm really impressed with myself. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Chris, are you impressed? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll heap some plaudits your way as well. Yeah, well done. Nice Daniel. one. Thank you. So, um, well done, well done. Uh, so I've been playing a game that I imported. What? Oh, no. <gasps> So uh, you can just get the PAL version uh, digitally, but you can't get a physical version of uh, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles in in Europe. Pete, can I just ask? Sorry, you just like I know I know you've gone through this kind of massive movement at the moment to kind of declutter. It's one of your Correct. big things. Every time yes. I go and see you, you try and like foist stuff on you, foist some stuff on me to take back with me. Yes, um, but you but you also have a real real a real kind of penchant for. Um, physical copies of games. Can you just can you explain to me? Yeah, but can you explain to me what that why that is? Yeah, sure. Um, one, um, I am an old man. Uh, two, 
Um, I believe in video game preservation and uh, I know how often things get dropped from digital stores and I really want to just own the thing itself. Um, Third, if I don't like the thing, I can get some of my money back. So I've only ever played one Phoenix Wright game. Okay, which one did you play? I played Trials and Tribulations. That feels like a weird entry to go in on, Sam. Why did you start with game number two or number three in the series? Like, So so is there a, sto- is there a story? I thought it was a case-by-case. Case. I've never played these games, but I know Pete. <gasps> oh, Chris. Well, no, you wax lyrical about them, Pete. I just, all I know of Phoenix Wright, he's got pointy hair and he's pointing. I had no history with the Phoenix Wright games. I was, I was living in isolation in Scotland. Yep. I was working as a radio reporter. Yep for a local radio station i played phoenix wright ace attorney trials and tribulations on a rainy afternoon whilst i was watching a sheepdog trial live (laughs) yeah live that i had to report on but couldn't report on it until it finished (laughs) and it went on for hours yeah and just the one dog (laughs) just one dog i remember like the first time i played this game having the stark realization that these weren't really games but they're actual actually novels correct just just books correct and that was something i did not realize when i'd entered the world of said ace attorney i thought they were you know generally interesting like puzzle based um crime games well you know i thought it'd be a nice pithy eight nine hours long oh, oh that's a nice little puzzly yeah no <laughs> puzzly game yeah. and then in my in my sitting in the pouring rain in scotland watching some sheepdog come trials, by come by i remember <laughs> coming to this realization come buying to this realization that um yeah these games are a little bit more than that yeah, they are a little bit more than eight or nine hour puzzle games yeah they so so it is a visual novel series, right? But mm-hmm. visual novel without the, you know, let's not beat around the bush, smut. Uh, so visual novels often... So <laughs> visual novels as a genre are very often uh, lewd games. Really? Uh, yeah, so um, there's a lot of fan service for example there's a lot of fan service based visual novel games and fan service is really code word for hey you know that anime character you really like what if you could see her pants uh ace attorney as a series is not about that ace attorney as a series is uh is actually about legal courtroom battles (laughs) um and uh so each game is a series of court cases usually about five episodes and those episodes vary in length, but most of the games are about 30 to 40 hours long. Plumbing now, and mm-hmm. Sam was expecting yeah. it to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a light and breezy. <laughs> well, you got your money's worth. I was like, I've never pressed A so many times on my Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, skip. Skip, 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 skip. So, 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 talk me through, Pete, the visual novel as a genre then, because I've only played a couple of these. So, for, as far as I know, there's not much wiggle room in terms of choice. You're literally, as Sam says, you're kind of, to some degree, and this is not to kind of demean it in some regard, but no? you're kind of going through the motions, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're, so there's, there's not a huge amount of player choice in Ace Attorney in, in the way that, you can't really affect the the journey of the... St- you can affect the journey of the story, i.e. I go to this location first, but you're always going to go against the same beats. You're always going to see basically all of the narrative, right? And really the puzzle is about how do I continue the story forward? What you have, if you imagine a screen and you're looking at the screen and the, the bottom third of the screen is taken up with a text box and you're just reading text and on the, the at the top of the screen you'll have... Uh, characters who you're having a conversation with or maybe you're part of a group discussion there's two or three characters on the screen at once that's that's kind of the bulk of a visual novel and that's certainly the, the, the case with Ace Attorney and then the thing that Ace Attorney does is it also has two other kinds of gameplay mode there's kind of an investigation-ish mode where you're going around the crime scene and you're finding evidence and you're putting ideas of what might have happened together and then there's the courtroom sequences and that's where you have to in most of the games you have to defend your client who spoilers is 99% of the time innocent 
uh, and you uh, you just basically have to make sure that you get a not guilty verdict. And you do that by presenting evidence, questioning uh, witnesses and, and, and on all that kind of stuff. So this is a series that was started by Shutakumi. And Shutakumi also did a game that you might remember called Ghost Trick. Oh, yes. Yeah, right, which is a really Trick. beautifully animated DS game um, with a little dog and you kind of talk to spirits and it's really, really, really well put together. But Shutakumi's first thing was Ace Attorney. So yeah. Shutakumi went away from the series, but, ne- but then he came back for a game called The Great Ace Attorney Adventures which is set before absolutely everything. So this is actually, essentially, it's not a reboot, but it's a place where new players can get into the series because you don't need to know anything about Phoenix Wright. You don't know, need to know anything about what happened with the Japanese legal system in the, in, in the series of games or any of that sort of stuff. You don't need to know how any of that stuff works. Instead, they take it back to, I believe it's the 19th century, like early 19th century, and you are... Uh, in to begin with, you're in Japan, and then you make your uh, a journey to London, and you are in the world of a character called Herlock Sholmes, who is uh, <laughs> yes. So in Japan, it is literally Sherlock Holmes, but over here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have slightly different copyright laws over there. Over here, uh, it is Herlock Sholmes. And um, it is an exploration of that era of London through the eyes of two Japanese travellers seeing London and seeing how crime and how how, uh, how um, justice works in London and defending different clients and that kind of thing. Um and so, yeah, as I say, it's meant to be like an onboarding experience for 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 new new people. And basically, this got collected together recently as part of uh, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which is a combination of the first game, Great Ace Attorney Adventures, and then the second game, which is the Great Ace Attorney Two Resolve. Now, I've not played that second one yet because uh, I finished the first game a couple of weeks about a week ago. I have clocked forty hours to do that first game. Mm-hmm. And the second game will take roughly that same amount of time as well. Um, and this is for sure the best place to get into Ace Attorney as a series. I wouldn't even say go to the the, the first Ace Attorney now. I would say because there's 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 bits that slightly don't make sense in terms of what it's not quite as clear what it wants you to do and where it wants you to present evidence and where it wants you to interrupt uh, uh, testimony and stuff like that. Whereas in this one, it's made expressly clear what you can and cannot do. And, and you kind of have a pretty good idea of what your choices are going to, how they're going to affect the game. And there's less of the guesswork of, again that sort of like rubbing different different objects against one another to see whether or not you get the right outcome there's way less of that in this one whereas the rest of the ace attorney games sometimes that can be a little bit obtuse in this one this is the one to jump into this is the one where i felt so unbelievably smart solving these cases by myself and some of these cases are well the whole point of the series is that they are meant to be they'll be like locked room murders right Nobody was in the room. Mm. There's no way in. Someone was murdered. How do you find out who did it? Right? Now I'm interested. I genuinely can't believe how fast 40 hours of reading text passed by. Like that that is that is kind of incredible. Right? I have a very low threshold. I was just going to say like especially for someone who exclusively reads via audiobook and does not sit down to read oh yeah like i i i have a very low threshold for for like sitting down and reading physical books but more than that i get really bored with stuff just generally if something doesn't grab me i'm just like nope done i don't, I don't care book game you know music wherever it is i don't I, i'm just not bothered like, I, i'll just move on because life's too short but 40 hours five cases of reading text it absolutely blew past. 
and I'm genuinely surprised at that. It, you know, it's a it's a really incredible um, uh, first game in the two game collection. I'm just genuinely like, um, cool. that's like five yeah, times remember. pure pool, isn't it? That's crazy. <laughs> so this is this isn't a podcast game, Pete. No, this is an anti podcast game. You you have to read constantly all of the right. information, how you're going to solve the cases. All of it is told through through text to you and some of the pieces of information are that kind of really interesting investigative stuff whereby a character will just completely offhand mention a random fact about something like they'll say you know not this but they'll say something like and of course um uh, i was lent up against the wall in whichever street it was when i saw when i uh, when i was there and that street might have nothing to do with the case except that you find out another piece of information later on down the line that there is a specific shop in that street and that street does this certain thing and that does have relevance to the case. But it's just completely like, it, you know, there'll just be like half a sentence of like, oh, and by the way, this other thing over here, and then move on. And if you haven't kept up with that, if you've not been paying attention, that's the thing where it's like, you, you, you know, that's the thing that can really stump you. But if you have been paying attention... God, you really feel smart. You really feel like, oh, oh, they must mean this because of this. So good. I I was graced with your presence the other night, Sam. You were, Chris. And I've not been feeling my best recently. I think we were all we were all pretty shattered that evening. We were all pretty shattered. My son's had a bug, I've had a bug. Uh, but yeah, but coming around to yours was an absolute tonic, actually. Um, because I, th- I feel like I feel like we've stumbled across a real gem of a game. Oh my word! And and it was kind of like it's one of those situations where it was a it was a school night, Thursday night. We really shouldn't have been up that late Ooh, playing board games, too. but hey, you know we're wild. Yeah. And I feel like we stumbled across not only a gem of the game, but the perfect game for that. Yeah, for that particular scenario, completely agree because we were all tired, and suddenly I was thinking, "Oh no, a new game, learning a new game when you're shattered." And as you say, it's a school night. That might be a really, really bad thing to do, especially one that's like playtime, sixty to ninety minutes. And um, actual lol's got a video out at the moment, which is like the top ten mistakes when you play board games. It's really fun, and uh, one of them is. Um, Take a look at this number that's on the box that tells you how long it is. Right now, times it by two <laughs> and add 30 minutes for all the people who are actually playing the game. It's like roasting a chicken. And then multiply that by 20. Good video. Just go and check it out. So, um, yeah, I was trepidatious um, as I brought Iki, I-K-I, Iki, to the table uh, for us to play um, because it's quite a large box. There's lots of things going on about it. Some people may call it something or refer to it as something like a chunky euro or a crunchy euro game um which essentially means you're going to be making and spending some money and having to do a bit of thinking while you do it but i think what really stands out about this game is definitely its theme and where it's set so iki is a japanese philosophy an ancient philosophy and it refers to the philosophy basically around the best way to live a civil life and live among amongst other people. So there's certain like rules and you know mm-hmm. things about displays of wealth and uh, stature and your place in society and basically learning how to get along with everybody with everybody else. And sometimes when a game has that sort of lofty um, premise of you know, this is essentially game about a, a philosophical sort of way of life. You kind of think, you know, is this just a selling point or does this actually have something within it? Like, have they just called it Iki because, oh, that's a happy coincidence? Or have they gone, right, we've heard of this thing called Iki. Wouldn't that make a really interesting mm. thing to make a board game about? I was a bit sceptical, but when we started playing it, Iki was such... A, I don't know, Chris, how do you, I, I guess we should describe 
you know a bit a bit about what it first of all it's absolutely stunning to look yeah. at so this is um a, a a sort of reissued maybe re-implemented um version of it from um a publisher called sorry we are french <laughs> um it was sent to us by hachette thank you very much it looks absolutely incredible there will be an unboxing on our instagram feed of the game uh, it's got the most gorgeous print of Mount Fuji on the inside of the box, which is one of the most unnecessary but beautiful things I've seen in a board game box in a long while. And each player essentially takes part in this game of civic life in Japan, this very specific street in Japan. So the board itself represents a street and there are four shops on the along this street bisected by a crossroads that goes down the street and across dividing these four shops so you've got this street and it's split into four areas and each area has got a place in it which is called a stall where you'll be putting certain cards and activating certain abilities um, as you're going along and essentially the game is you representing uh, the way i like to think about it was essentially you're representing maybe like a a member of the council or or like um something that's lower than a mayor but higher than a councillor like you know some sort of city official i guess who is essentially trying to hire the best people to occupy these stalls build the best buildings encourage people to visit certain shops and buy certain items in order to increase your iki value you know the 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 sense within you that you're doing the best to civic life so how the game operates is the first thing that everyone does is essentially choose how much they're going to walk around the street so in the center of the board and the street there's this little rondel this little basically circular conveyor belt where you choose how far along this conveyor belt you're going to move where you stop determines what kind of shops you're going to visit what kind of people within this civic life that you're going to then interact with and they can be cards that you've put down or cards that other people have put down and then after you decided how far you're going to move then everyone moves and interacts and um, performs certain bonuses awarded by certain cards when you take the action on a card that is owned by someone else that that member of staff, that person, that person that they've hired will go up in experience. They'll be slightly better. They'll perform slightly better for the for the person that, that actually owns them, that hired them to, to attend that stall in the first place. And then after all that business is done, we've done a little bit of points counting, the month is over and we pass on to the other month. And Iki is a game that takes place over a course of a whole year. So essentially you play 13 rounds. So there's 12 months and there's Japanese New Year and there's the coming of the seasons there's different cards that come up throughout spring summer autumn and winter there um, are different items on sale for each of the seasons so different fish um, are present um, during winter than there are during summer fires come and threaten your stalls so you have to think about how you're going to start preventing these fires and um, attacking your properties and it was the most gentle, non-combative, cooperative almost experience that I've had in a, in, a, in a long time in a board game where it really felt like we were building this wonderful little street uh, in Japan. And I think what makes it so gentle and wonderful is it is, as Sam says, it takes place entirely in this small street. Now, when you think often of like, mm. it, it's a worker movement game. When you think of these types of games, you think of a, a map or a, a kind of a yeah. large space that you're moving people back and forth. You know, I'm building a civilization here or some kind of settlement. I'm developing it further. Whereas this, no, we're just pootling around. And it felt like we were just, oh, window shopping in certain places. Oh, I'll stop here. And the only time <laughs> it ever really felt like it was a little bit combative was that typical kind of worker placement thing where you elect at the beginning as to how far you're going to move around the street. 
But even then, if Sam mm. has gone on four and I go, oh, I wanted to move four, well, I can put it on three because I've got a sandal here I can spend to, to move one space further. Or I could put it on the one to four space, which means I don't get a certain bonus that everyone else will get, but I can choose how far I want to go based on where other people go because, you know, Sam may get to the fishmonger before me and get that last fish that I wanted, but now I don't have to worry because I've got on that one to four bit. So there's no analysis paralysis really because it's, because you're actually you're kind of talking to each other constantly about what you could do because you don't really feel threatened by each other because if anything somebody could land on your space use that special power you've bought and oh yeah you get something I get something as well this is great and mm-hmm. I was thinking how did they design this it very rarely happens in a board game where you can kind of see the seams you reverse engineer it and go okay I got to how they got to this this is one of those games where I think how did they fine tune all these different elements here and I went around to my neighbours today mm. to pick up some fruit and veg because our other neighbour um, is a fruit and delivery man and a client um, cancelled and he had this massive crate and basically everyone in the neighbourhood <laughs> is getting like bits of this fruit and honestly it's so much stuff but he was like, I just can't stop thinking about Icky. I just can't stop thinking about it. He's genuinely considering Sam buying it. I think for me one of the, one of the things that I really, really, really enjoyed about it is that Great Western Trail is one of my favourite games. And one of the reasons I love it is that sense of of building towards something, of creating uh, a, a basically an economy in which to improve your worth as the game goes on. So you start off making very small gains, but invest them to make bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger gains. Where I think this gentleness from Iki comes from, where I think that it really didn't feel that combative and it really felt convivial is that the actual street itself is in a constant state of flux and change and movement and it has this wonderful sense of um, growth, death and rebirth almost, Mm. which I found, uh, this is going to sound really hyperbolic, but I I found generally quite quite beautiful and touching because like not only are you moving through the seasons... And not only are you kind of have this sense of this of this street sort of passing through time, but if you boost the experience up of these characters enough, they retire and they're suddenly not on the street anymore. And you sometimes don't have control of when that happens to your characters or to others. You could literally walk along a street and retire all your opponent's characters and send them off to pastures new so that when it comes around to their turn their characters aren't there anymore because they've been they've been retired yeah, because there was a moment there was a moment where matt said oh um what happened to that person there they they, they helped me with my fireproofing and you were like oh no they've retired and it's not like a bad thing they go back into your board and then after every three months basically you get payday and if they're retired you get a better payday and you don't have to feed them rice and it's yeah but because the board always feels like it's in the state of flux and it's never stayed. You never really feel the the, the pressure to grow and, and like become like a capitalist overlord. You never really feel the pressure from any other player that like, oh my God, they've got all these people in these in these key points in the board. I need to try and move them. No, they, they'll go. At some point, all these people will move on and new people will come in and you'll have another chance to try mm. and perform certain things and establish certain areas around the board all this will change and i and i really love that central philosophy this board that all this will change nothing here is permanent and we're open we're just here to have a good time and <laughs> and again it's that it's that weird sense of philosophy like in this in this civil life that we're enjoying for this brief like hour hour and a half where we're just all together like how do you foster that feeling of just being nice and civil and civic to each mm. other well it's kind of like with this game and it's really unusual um to have a game that kind of felt so pleasing and so warming to play so that was staying in with myself sam turner there was chris darby and there was also peter Willington. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, we spoke about a great many things. There's Archive 81, which is available on Netflix, The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which is available on PlayStation, Steam, and 
the Nintendo Switch. And I think Chris and I are very interested in maybe getting that one. Um, Iki as well, uh, which was kindly sent to us by Hachette. You can get that all good um, gaming stores, local or otherwise. And uh, we also talked about other great things like Resident Evil Village, which is, oh, it's so, so good. And lots of different horror titles to boot as well. Been on a strange sort of horror vibe recently. Maybe it's just because it's, you know, the darker months. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate you having around. Uh, There's tons of ways to interact and, you know, get to know us better in between episodes of the podcast. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Staying In Pod. Um, The Instagram page especially has tons of unboxings, uh, pictures of us out and about, stuff we're doing. Sometimes we run the odd competition. So... Really, that's the best way to to get in touch. You can also send us an email if you want to send us something a little bit stronger or longer, uh, stayinginpod at gmail.com. And all the information, if you might have missed me blathering on, is available at stayinginpodcast.com as well. Follow us, subscribe, like, do whatever you feel you need to, um, and we'll love you even more for it than we already do. Anyway, until next time, please do take care of yourselves. We're going to be at Aircon in March, so if you'd like to see us, uh, maybe pick up a sticker. We'll be hanging around there, hopefully, fingers crossed, so maybe we'll see you soon. But until then, until next time, bye-bye.